All right, good morning, church. And again, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, we are going to continue in our series Micah um, has been leading us through called Stand, which is walking us through the events, uh, or some of the events, in the book of Daniel. This morning, in our time together, we are going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. Um, we have a lot to talk about this morning. I have like two main points, three subpoints, and two more subpoints after that. So put your big boy theology britches on. Uh, and enjoy the ride. Um, it's a lot of ground to cover, um, as we're going to cover all of Daniel 6. Um, and this is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. Um, if you own any children's book or spent any time in the church um, or Sunday school, you heard this story probably about every year. The teaching on this passage typically ends in a way where it's like, dare to be Daniel, right? Be like this guy. Make the type of choices he made. If you're like Daniel, when you get thrown into the lion's den, God will save you. I'm not going to put the cart in front of the horse quite yet, but the truth is, I do want to be like Daniel. I want to be a man of great faith, and I want to know and believe that God still works in great ways for his people. However, this book is not trying to tell us how awesome Daniel is. It is pointing to how great God is. We are able to see this because of the circumstances that Daniel lives in. He lives almost his whole life surrounded by and confronted by adversity. He is an exile in Babylon. He has lived almost his entire life separated from his home in Jerusalem. Everything that would have made up his Jewish identity, he was separated from. He lives surrounded by foreign gods, surrounded by people living lives he didn't agree with. He works for kings that are temperamental and kill their employees that don't do what they say. He works with people who are prejudiced against him and consistently try to discredit him. And at first glance, it may not seem like we have much in common with Daniel uh, and his circumstances, but I, I think we actually do, because life is full of adversity. We are all going to have times when it seems like we are being thrown to the lions, when things are so bad that we look around and say, God, are you there? I don't know how to reconcile what the Bible says about you and what I see in my life right now. Right? Some of us have been through this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are in the midst of it right now, and if you haven't faced real adversity yet, it's only a matter of time, so enjoy that fun thought. Uh, there is some really good news in this story, though. Faith in the one true God endures through all adversity. So this story should give us hope and comfort that no matter what you are going through or what you will go through, faith in the one true God endures and even triumphs through all adversity. A lot of us know that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, right? We, a lot of us went to Sunday school. Right? But why? Why was he thrown in there? And it's because he wouldn't compromise his faith, and he refused not to pray to the one true God. He stood firm in the faith. He stood strong. Today we're going to spend our time together walking through this event and standing strong. Prayer, in my humble yet accurate opinion, is the most underutilized and undervalued resource in the church. The Bible teaches us that all the blessings that God wants to throw in our to bestow upon us, he does so through prayers. Prayer is the conduit by which his power comes into our lives and into our families. Prayer is the way we lay hold of the promises and blessings of God and make them our own. The Bible is a book of promises, right? There's about 3,000 of them, all of which are yes in Jesus Christ. It is so important to read through the Bible. We have to know the word so we can store it in our hearts so we may not sin against him. But we should also pray through the Bible. 
I truly believe that is of vital importance. Um, and this morning, I want us to see how prayer to God was so vital to Daniel that he was willing to die for it. I want us to think about hearing it, not hearing it as a child or as a child story, but how this really happened, how this was a real event, how it really unfolded for Daniel and all the things he dealt with in this chapter because he refused to compromise his faith. Now, I was going to have y'all sit while I did the, the reading because it's 28 verses, but Pastor Micah texted me this morning and said he was watching. <laughs> and he said if it was good, for, good enough for Ezra and Nehemiah, it's good enough for us. So. I love y'all, but if you're able and willing, we're going to read. Uh, stand with me as we read God's word. We're going to read Daniel 6 together. We're going to read all of Daniel 6. So don't let your mind wander. It's 28 verses. We will get through it together. All right. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, which are people in authority, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might, not suffer, uh, might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And let me just add that you're doing pretty well as a human being if your only grounds is that you follow the law of God too well. Then, uh, starting back in verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came to agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by... Uh, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O God, or O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is the one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. 
And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diver diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at, day, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and in his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. May it be glorifying and exalting to your name, Lord. May your words come out of me, Lord, not my own opinions or my own thoughts, but what you have to say, Lord. We love you and we need you. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing I, I kind of want to do is I want to pull out one aspect of Daniel's life, one thing that was true about him, and it points to why he is, his faith endured throughout adversity, and it's also true about you, how your faith can endure through adversity and thrive and triumph through adversity. So my first point is Daniel lived as if he was on his way home. And why does that matter so much? Just re-look uh, re at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, Daniel never forgot his true home. Where did he pray towards? His home. Jerusalem. It's where the temple was. You know, home is that place where we belong. You know, Home is where the people on the inside know that you're weird and a pain in the butt and you're loved anyway for it, where everything just seems to be right. And the same is true with Daniel. He, he knew where he belonged, and he knew he belonged somewhere else. That is why he faced Jerusalem. He does this a lot. He, he had a lifestyle of this, a habit, a habit that he prayed three times a day facing his home. Three times a day, Daniel intentionally spent time remembering who he was, where he was from, so that he would remember who his God was, where his heart longed to be. Jerusalem where, is where the temple was, but even more important, the temple were, is where God's presence was. Daniel wanted to be in the presence of God. So by making this habit, Daniel was saying to God, I want to be with you. But we know by reading the book that Daniel didn't need to be in Jerusalem to be with God because God was already with Daniel in Babylon. 
Daniel's faith endured because God was with him in Babylon. If your faith is in God, he is with you right now, no matter what you're going through, and he will never abandon you. Daniel lived as if he was on his way home, and that also means this, that he didn't make Babylon his new home. He never let his heart grow roots in Babylon. He never held too tightly to anything in Babylon. He never put his faith in anything that Babylon had to offer. Christian, Jesus told us in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Man, we need to live in such a way. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross and somehow, some way that accounted to you, then the world's not your home. Heaven and being in the presence of the Father is your house. That's your home. And since this is not your home, we should really take to heart when Paul tells us in the book of Romans to not be conformed to this world. That verse always reminds me of the Israelites when they demanded to have a king for themselves. The whole purpose of Israel not having a king was because God was their king. God was supposed to be their king. But they wanted to be like every other nation. Every other nation had a king, and they wanted to conform to the world. If you come to the, to the world and conform to it and claim to be a Christian, why would any non-believer listen to anything you have to say about Jesus? If you can identify more with non-believers than you can believers because of political differences, then i got news for you. You conformed to the world, and you need to reassess your relationship with Jesus. But Daniel, Daniel refused to conform. Daniel had a choice, continue to follow God or save his own life, and Daniel chooses God. His faith was in God. His hope was in God, not in preserving his life. He had more faith in God than he did in his own life. He concluded that the best thing was not to live longer, but to continue to honor and seek God. And that's really weird and strange until you think about it this way. What could you put your hope in that you are not going to ultimately lose anyway? What happiness do you have right now that if the wrong thing happened, if the worst circumstances occurred, you couldn't stand to lose right now? Would it be money? Your health? Your family? Your friends? Your success? You name it, you can lose it today. You can lose it one sentence. You are only one sentence away from losing everything you have put your faith in on this earth. And where will you be when that happens? Where will you go? The book of Daniel tells us something very specifically about this in verse 20. It says, The king cried out in tone of anguish to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And after seeing God's work to save Daniel, Darius says, I make it a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. That is the entire theme of the whole book. Nothing will ever overcome God's kingdom. You know, I've read the back of Revelations, and it turns out great for the men and women who put their trust in Jesus Christ. So why would you put your trust in anything else? Please understand the book of Daniel is not about one man's awesome faith. It's not about one man's awesome life. It is not about his faith, but the object of his faith. And we need to remember that because, if you, because it can be so easy to put ourselves in the middle of the Bible. 
It is so easy for men and women to distort the word of God. Does anyone in here listen to like The Promise or K-Love Radio? I, I, I tell my students a lot, at least I did last year, that they were turning me into K-Love Radio because I was repeating myself so much. <laughs> but they play this song, and it's called Confidence by Sanctus, a Sanctus Real. And Lord, I hope and pray somehow they find a way to hear this. It's a really catchy song, but it is so far off base. The song goes, so give me a faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me a hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like Daniel. Lord, be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. And it's a Christian contemporary song, so they play that like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times in that song. Um, Daniel, Moses, and David are really fantastic men from the Old Testament. And there's no doubt about that, but they also point to someone far more fantastic. All right, and all the things that they went through is pointing to how great God is, not how great they are. All right, like he mentions a heart like David. Well, in the story of David and Goliath, we aren't David, and our mental, financial, social problems aren't Goliath. All right, you know who we are in the story of David and Goliath? We're the Israelites that are too afraid to do anything. All right, Jesus is David. All right, when pastors and people talk about it this way, it puts man as the hero. Man is not the hero. We aren't David. We aren't Daniel. Don't dare to be Daniel. Daniel points us to Jesus. Be more like Jesus. All right? Walk in sanctification with Jesus. All right, I'm about to hurt some of y'all's feelings. Be ready. Have y'all seen the picture of the president going around social media where it says he is this generation's Daniel and the political division is the lion's den? Like, I'm not preaching politics here, but don't hear what I'm not saying. That's all I'm if you haven't seen this picture, it's a picture of the president in his suit, light shining down on him, and just out of the reach of the light of these seven lions just out of the distance, ready to devour him if the light moves. Are you kidding me? The Bible is not about us. It's about God. From the words, end to amen, God is the main character, and it certainly has nothing to do with our politicians and the, political, uh, and the politics going on in this country. And you can insert whatever person you want to in this picture. It can be Joe Biden. You can put Tim Tebow in there, and Tim Tebow should be on money in my humble opinion. Doesn't matter. We don't place our hope in people. People fail us. We place our hope in God because God never fails. Donald Trump isn't saving anybody, church. Joe Biden isn't saving anybody. Jesus is the one that's saving people. And Daniel points us to Jesus. Don't get it twisted. If you get a, our political atmosphere out of Daniel and the lion's den, Lifeway sells a really great study Bible I would recommend. If you hear this story and think besides how awesome God really is, you are missing the point, church. Before we move into the second point, I want to leave you with a quote from Francis Chan. From start to finish, this movie is obviously about God. He is the main character. How is it possible that we live as though it is about us? Number two. Daniel lived uh, as if his relationship with God mattered most. See, Daniel had a choice to make. Follow the new law or face the consequences. Believe or scheme his way out of this. Have faith in the Lord or have faith in himself. Realize in everything you do, you are putting your faith in something. 
There is a choice that you have to make in everything you do. So keep that in mind in the end, that choice is eventually going to make you. But for Daniel, there was no choice. Daniel doesn't take his orders from the king or from anything. He wasn't following the trends on Twitter. He wasn't doing what was deemed socially acceptable. He wasn't doing things that was politically correct. He got his orders from God, which was, by the way, the key to his success. Because when you try to please everyone, you're going to ultimately fail. What we need to be more concerned with is pleasing God alone because it makes decision-making a whole heck of a lot easier. You are living for an audience of one when you put God first. If you try to make everybody happy, you're going to fail. You're going to be exhausted in the process, so might as well live for God. Notice also that Daniel did not hesitate on what he needed to do when he heard this new law. Now let me ask you this, church. If tomorrow you walked into work and they said you can't pray for 30 days, would you hesitate on what you needed to do? Would you go with it because it's a really good job? Would that new rule even affect your prayer life? Other than praying before a meal, would it even matter? Are you willing to compromise your relationship with God just to stay employed? Our prayer life should be one of the most important things in our life. But R.C. Sproul once said, Prayer is to the Christian what breath is to life. Yet no duty of the Christian is so neglected. Prayer is vital to the Christian's life. And we've got to stop neglecting it. And our prayer should be characterized in three different ways. And our first way is already on the board. And that way is discipline. Our prayer life should be characterized by discipline. The events tell us Daniel prayed routinely three times a day. You can even make the argument that this was the source of Daniel's strength. He went to God as much as he ate. The most important discipline a disciple of Jesus can have is meeting with God every single day. For those of you who don't have a daily prayer time with God, start making time. You make time for your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your friends, your children. You can make time to be with God. Oh, you can't? Show Show me your screen time on your phone, and I'm willing to bet you can find time. Or even better, you can download the Bible app on your phone and pump those numbers up. All right? I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. He prayed all night before choosing his disciples. And then Luke's gospel, in chapter 6, the, uh, Luke, the writer, tells us it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 among them. How many big decisions have you gone into without seeking God first? We need to truly understand that prayer is how. It's how God releases his wisdom and power for change in you. So I used an example at the beginning of the gospel. Let's use an example on the other end of the gospel. The night before Jesus died, Jesus had taken three of his closest friends into the garden to pray with him. Jesus was about to go into the greatest struggle he'd ever been through, and he needed these guys to pray with him. He left them in a place to pray and went a little farther into the garden to pray by himself. He told them they needed to pray, that they would not fall into temptation themselves. He comes back to find them asleep. You know, when Jesus woke them, you know, they tried to play it off, right? You know, in your name I pray, amen, right? Judah does that, by the way. Like, last night, Judah fell asleep watching TV probably about 8 o'clock. And as soon as I went to grab him, to put him in his bed, he wakes up, I was watching that. No, you weren't. 
He, ha he hates going to bed. He's afraid he's going to miss something. But I can definitely see the, the disciples here doing that. But Jesus wasn't fooled. He said, could you not even watch and pray for me for an hour? Later that night, Jesus, or Peter would go on to deny Jesus three times. Here's the question. What if Peter had stayed awake for that hour? Jesus told him to stay up and pray that he would not enter into temptation. Maybe he would not have crumbled that night and made the greatest mistake of his life if he would not have done that. What if prayer is God's means of strengthening your spirit to avoid temptation and to break the world's power over you? I'm not saying praying three times a day is the magic number. But what if you bathed in prayer every single day? What if you prayed through your calendar each morning? You need to set a time for prayer. Oh, I just pray throughout the day. No, you don't. Set a time and be disciplined. You must develop the discipline of prayer. But secondly, our prayers should be characterized by defiance. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Effective prayer begins when you receive the gap between where a situation is and where God wants it to be. Effective prayer begins when we perceive the gap between where a situation is and where God wants it to be. In our noon devotionals, we went over the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We see a gap between His will and His kingdom in our situation, and we pray it into existence. Now, all this has to be done with a heart of humility because we don't always know the will of God. But a lot of the will of God we know through his holy word. So here's my question. How well do you know the word of God? Because the strength of our prayers to God are entirely dependent on our knowledge of the word of God. This is your prayer playbook. Your ability to lay hold of the promises of God is entirely dependent on your knowledge of these promises. Prayers that start in heaven are heard by heaven. If you want the help of heaven, you must listen to the words from heaven. That was pretty good. Prayers that are effective begin and end with the promises of God. To have your prayers answered, you must answer accordingly to the will of God. You can't know God's will any more than you can know his, or you cannot know God's will any more than you know his word. So if you want to pray well, know the word well. In prayer, we perceive the will of God for a situation and defy the situation that is currently is and pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is what Daniel is doing here. Daniel knew through the book of Jeremiah that the Jewish captivity would end after 70 years, and he turned this great promise into prayer. Daniel was praying for his people and asking God to keep his promise and deliver them. If Daniel was not a man of faith and courage, Daniel could have compromised and found excuses for not maintaining his faithful prayer life. I mean, he could have, closed the, could have chose to close his windows and pray silently three times a day. Or he could have left the city and prayed elsewhere. But that would have made Daniel unfaithful and a coward. He would have been scheming just like his enemies were scheming against him. No, a man like Daniel feared only the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, you don't need to fear anyone else. All right, last sub-point. Our prayers should be characterized by endurance. Two quick observations about Daniel's life. Daniel was willing to be thrown into the lion's den before he'd stop praying. How valuable is prayer to you? Daniel was willing to lose his life over it. How much do you prioritize it? Here's my challenge for you, church. If you're not in a Bible reading plan, start a Bible reading plan and start praying daily. 
If you don't know where to start on your way out, grab the church's Bible reading plan. It's two chapters a day. Typically, it's one old, one new. Um, but right now, we are in the Psalms and Deuteronomy. If you miss a day, don't try to play catch up because you'll end up following, falling farther and farther behind. So if you miss a day, just read that day's Bible reading. Don't try to play catch up. But that is my challenge to y'all. And the biggest game changer will be praying daily. Praying in accordance with God's word. My personal prayer life was changed when I started praying over the Psalms. And the second thing we notice is Daniel was willing to persist in prayer until God answered. He prayed three times a day and refused to stop even when the king ordered him to. He would go on to pray for the next 60 years for the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. 60 years. Would you pray for something that long? You've prayed for 60 years. No answer. Keep praying. And I struggle with this one. Do you know when to persist and when to rest in the sovereignty of God? I mean, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 prays three different times for God to change something in his life. And finally, God sent back word, Paul, I'm not going to change it, but I will give you grace in it. Jesus once told his disciples that they shouldn't pray like pagans who think God will hear them because they talk a lot. And that our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we even ask. So some things that we pray for, even good things that we think are in the will of God, we are not going to get no matter how long we pray. But the Bible tells us to knock and keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. Imagine someone just knocking on your front door constantly. You're eventually going to answer it. And if you're Brother Robert, you're going to be holding your Second Amendment right in your hand while you're answering it, right? That's funny. I don't even care. This is our Holy Father. We get to go to God in prayer. He is our Father. Like our earthly Father, we can pester Him until He finally gives in. Now, that didn't work with my dad, but it works like a charm for Judah. I, I fold easier than a lawn chair when it comes to that boy, but that's how we're supposed to come to God. We're to be like the persistent widow, to be like Jacob who wrestled with God and Daniel who pressed through for 60 years. The early church prayed all night for Peter's release in Acts 12, and then they were surprised that it happened. I mean, the Bible presents both sides. Honestly, I can't tell you which is which, but there is a tension, and the Holy Spirit has to guide you. I'd say a general rule is to keep pressing until God makes it clear for you to stop. And when it is something you are sure from God's word that you are interpreting correctly that God wants, don't stop praying for it. Press through until you get it. So that thing that God has put in your heart, that place you know God wants you to work, has God told you to stop praying about it? Then don't. Let me conclude this message with the conclusion of a story. Daniel gets thrown into the den of lions. King Darius never wanted this to happen. He was just gullible and weak-willed. So he stayed up all night worrying about Daniel. King Darius had been up all night worrying. Daniel's enemies had been up all night partying. In fact, it seems Daniel appears to be the only one who got a good night's sleep. At daybreak, Darius rushed down to the den to check and see if somehow, someway, Daniel had made it. And Daniel was in there, cup of coffee in hand, reading between the lines. The first service loved that one. God kept Daniel safe through his prayer, and the plot of the wicked men was overturned, and God was glorified. 
But don't conclude that the message of the story is simply, if you pray and trust God's will, he'll always keep you safe and deliver you from harm. That ain't true. We know that it's not true. Lots of God's people die in the lion's den. Being a Christian does not keep you from danger. There isn't a best life now scenario in the Bible. The event in Daniel 6 ultimately points way beyond itself. Like most Old Testament stories do, it points beyond itself. And in this case, it points 600 years beyond itself. Daniel ultimately points us to someone much more impressive and heroic than Daniel. Daniel was innocent, yet he was thrown into the lion's den, which is a clear death sentence. There was someone even more innocent than Daniel ever was. Jesus. Daniel trusted God in pretty awesome ways. There was one who trusted God more than Daniel. Jesus. Daniel came out of the lion's den without a scratch on him. He never tasted death. Jesus came out of his trial filled with wounds and tasted death for all. Daniel was still in the lion's den when they, when they rolled back the, uh, when they rolled the stone away. When Mary and his disciples went to Jesus' tomb, the tomb was empty. Praise God, hallelujah, that tomb was empty. And what this tells me is that whenever, whatever trial I'm in, I'm ultimately safe. And by safe, I don't mean I'm going to walk, walk through it unscratched. I mean that even if I were to die, if I die, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I know that God loves me. I know his presence is with me and he will never leave me or forsake me. I know that when he died on Calvary that somehow, someway that accounted for me. So therefore I can pray for 60 years because I know God cares and hears me. I can handle it when I cry out for deliverance from the lions and it doesn't come because Jesus had proven his love and commitment for me at the cross. The name Daniel means God is my judge. The gospel is that God was judged for me so now I have no judgment to fear. In all situations, I can say, God is for me. Who can be against me? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to end our time together with Scripture when Paul was writing to the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was a pretty messed up church if you've never read the letter. I would encourage you to read it. Um, they were doing some not-so-Christianly things. Um, but he's wrapping it up, and he gives final instructions. One of the last things he said in his letter is, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong. My hope and prayer is that every single one of us here will do just that. Stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Just thank you for how you're working in and through this church, Lord. Lord, I pray for our prayer life, Lord, that it will be disciplined. Lord, that we will go to you each and every day. That it will be defiant against laws, Lord, if we're not allowed to pray, Lord, that we stand firm in your faith. And that ultimately that we have the endurance, Lord, to continuously pray for your will to be done in and through our lives, Lord. We don't want anything more than that, just the will to be done. Lord, continue to guide us, continue to work in us. Holy Spirit, move. We love you, Jesus. Amen.